today, I would like to ask you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'm going to be speaking to you from the New Living Translation. You can use whatever translation you would like. I'm using this translation because this is a pretty complex passage, and the translators, the scholars who, who translated, paraphrased it in the New Living Translation really did good work, and they're going to save us a lot of time today. I would also say to you there is a Bible app event for this, so if you have the Bible app you want to follow along that way, click events, menu and events, and find Kerbinsville Alliance, that'll be helpful to you. And while I'm talking about that, I want to tell you just a funny story. It's kind of funny and it's kind of sad. Uh, A couple of college students from our church recently visited a church in their community. Uh, They are going far away to college. See how I'm leaving everything really nameless, right? And so they're at this church in the community, and they, they stand up for the music, they sit down for the prayer, they listen to the announcements, they come to the time when the pastor says, open your Bibles to, and they get out their cell phone, and the pastor rebuked them. We don't use cell phones in this church. Wow. First off, don't rebuke visitors. <laughs> and second, um, embrace technology when it honors God. Embrace technology when it honors God. I was in central Russia, and the pastor, the the translator, had an old Bible he was flipping through. I said, you don't have it on your phone? He said, I need Russian. And I said, I'm pretty sure the YouVersion Bible app is available in Russian. And he downloaded it right there. Can you imagine that? We used to try to, what, smuggle Bibles in. Here it comes, right over the internet. We are really blessed to live when we do. I'm really proud of that, uh, those students, because... uh, They looked at each other and nodded and got up and left. (laughs) Maybe that was the wrong thing to do in your book, but I'm proud of them for that. All right, let's start over. Open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and there's a Bible app event for this. I got to tell you, I think if I heard it once, I heard it a hundred times, probably hundreds of times. It's a sentence that goes like this. Steve, keep your head out from between me and my work. Do you know who was saying it? My dad, (laughs) my dad, because as a little boy, I loved helping dad on a project, you know, if we're changing the starter on that old John Deere, or if we're working on that hay baler, if we're pouring cement for sidewalks, I'm literally walking through it. If we're hopping in a pickup and going for a load of coal, or if we're cleaning out the spring, that was one of my favorite jobs, and only one time I got to go down in a cistern and help clean that out, or plowing snow with a John Deere, I loved being involved in things like that with my dad when I was a little boy. I loved helping. I didn't realize at the time, but I have come to believe that one of the main reasons I loved this was because it gave my young life a sense of meaning. I I feel like the desire to see value in yourself and in what you do is evident even in small children that are always getting in their father's way when he's working on a task. And when I would hear my dad say, when I was a little boy, and I'd hear my dad say, hey, get out of that bed, we're going out to the garage, buddy, I couldn't get dressed fast enough because I loved doing things like that. It didn't just make me feel important. It affirmed to me that you have importance, Steve. You are important. Now, when I became a teen, things changed. You can imagine, right? When I became a teen, I wanted to do more recreational things. Cook Forest is just off the road. I'm going canoeing, right? And riding that dirt bike, I put 100,000 miles on that pony, going to the movies in Dubois. Uh, I didn't want to do those things that dad had in mind. But as I look back on it, as I think back on it, I'm not sure that I really found more joy in the recreational things than I found in working on a tractor. Because recreation has value as a gift from God, 
But you don't have to be a genius to realize that meaning in life is not found in constant recreation. In fact, it can kind of make life feel meaningless. You see people looking for meaning in life in a variety of different places, investing their lives in environmental issues or in politics or in animals or family or history or education or athletics. And those are great things. Those are all worthwhile causes. But is there something more? Is there something more? At about 20 years of age, um, I began to see that this kind of hunger for meaning that I'd had in my heart since I was just a little boy, that that desire to invest myself in something important was actually put there by God. He put that longing in my heart. And I began to feel maybe God has a commission for me. Commission. That's an interesting word. What does commission mean? Well, you know, if you're into sales, commission is your cut of the deal. You know, I get 20% if you buy this and buy it from me. Don't go to the other salesman. That is not, that is not how I'm using the word commission today. Your commission is really a call of sorts. Uh, that's why the background on his PowerPoint has a woman answering the phone and, and taking a call. A commission is an appointment of someone to a position. Brandon and Milton have been commissioned to care for the youth ministry at our church. Uh, Dave has been commissioned to oversee the, the sportsman's banquet. Gail has been commissioned to choose the music in the early service and Drew to oversee the music in our second service here. That's a commission for them because a commission is a calling. It's an appointment to a specific position or tasks being given the responsibility and the authority to accomplish the task. I want to ask you today, I want to ask you, what has God commissioned you to do in the kingdom? What has God commissioned you to do in the kingdom? And we're going to look at a passage of scripture. We're going to spend all our time in 2 Corinthians 5, looking just how the idea of commission unfolds in in just being a follower of Christ. And, And we're going to follow this through, actually, I have a group of sermons planned, and each one of them begins with a letter in commission. This morning is the letter C for call, and Lord willing, it's going to take you, it's going to take us right up until Easter Sunday when we're finally wrapping this up. I don't think that you can figure out, if you've never given it a thought, what kind of things God wants you to involve yourself in, what his call is after just a sermon or so. So we're going to kind of think about this over the weeks that are ahead. Today, we're going to talk about this issue of call, and we're going to work our way through 2 Corinthians 5. And you're going to see right from the get-go that when a person comes to Jesus, it changes things in their life. It changes a lot of things in their life. And one of the ways it does that is coming to Jesus assures you that there is a better life to come. And when you see there's a second life, (laughs) there's a an eternal life, it changes how you live this life. Let's look at verse one of 2 Corinthians 5. If you don't have your Bible with you, you can just follow along as I read in your head. The Bible's talking about death when it says in verse one, for we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven. An eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. Sounds pretty good. 
I could go for that. Verse 2 goes on and says, we grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. (laughs) That's beautiful, isn't it? And so we who are believers in anticipation of this, we kind of live our life in certain ways because we know something that's ahead of us is pretty cool. And as you continue to read the words of 2 Corinthians 5, you understand that this better life that is to come isn't just a wish. It's not just a pipe dream. This better life that is to come is a sure thing. It's certain. More certain than death and taxes, you might say. Eternally certain. Look at verse 5. It really couldn't be clearer. It says this. God has prepared us for this. And as a guarantee... He's given us his Holy Spirit. You know, God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune nature of God. And so what the scripture is saying is, in order to let you know for sure that there is a life to come, the Spirit of God has been given you and lives inside of you if you're a Christ follower. God himself dwelling in you. The Holy Spirit who drew you to God, he gives you a sense that there's a life ahead. The Spirit of God who communicates God's love to you communicates to you that there's another life yet to come. The Holy Spirit who convicts you of sin and of righteousness is evidence that there is a next life. And that gives us not just hope, it gives us confidence. That's what the next verse says. Verse 6 says, so we are always confident even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing, not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident and would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we'll be home with the Lord. You've heard that expression, that truism, right? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That comes from that very verse of Scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.8. And we live this commission, the call of our commission, because we have this certainty that this is not all there is. There is a life ahead of us. And the knowledge that there's a life ahead of us really affects how we live in the here and now. Look at verse nine. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. For we must stand before Christ to be judged and we will receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Did you catch the phrase in in verse 9? Our goal is to please him. Our goal in this life is to please him because of the next life. And by the way, it doesn't say this. It doesn't say, be really careful, don't make God mad because there's a second life to come. It says our goal is to please him. Because living the call of your commission is a joyful experience. It is not a worrisome experience. It is not one that fills you with anxiety. It is not a fretful and fearful experience, but a joyful expectation of what is to come. Now, knowing there's a future life ahead 
affects how we live and how we interact with others. Paul speaks of this in the very next verse, in verse 11. He says, because we understand our fearful responsibility to God, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we're sincere, and I hope you know this too. Fearful responsibility? What is that? That's our call. That's our commission, to persuade others. It is a responsibility to share that which we have found. It is a great honor to do so. It can be a little fearful. The call will affect how you interact with others, and it will affect how, how others view you in this life. And Paul says in verse 12 that they may see you as being a little full of yourself. He says, are we commending ourselves to you again? In other words, am I boasting like, hey, you know, I've got this Jesus thing. Look how cool I am. No, he says, I'm not doing that. He says, we're giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who do brag about a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. People could see you, though, as arrogant. They could see you as crazy. He says in verse 13, if it seems we're crazy, it's to bring glory to God. But, you know, if we're in our right minds, it's for your benefit. But what he really wants to see, what he really wants to happen is for people to see you as you really are, to people to see that you're motivated by the love of Christ motivated by love. He says in verse 14, either way, Christ's love controls us. Why do we do the call? It's not because we're like, oh, those people need fixing. It's not because I can't stand the way those people are. Let's tell them about Jesus. It's really all about (laughs) God loves them. I love them. I want to help them. Because verse 14 goes on to say, since we believe Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died, speaking of Christ, so that we, so that those who receive his new life no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died for them and raised them. Are you getting the point that when the apostle Paul came to Christ and he expects the same of the people who live in Corinth, the Corinthians, now that they've come to Christ, that this knowledge of what is ahead should change how you live today. And the change has to do with this commission, this calling that is on your life. You probably should think about, well, what does a call look like? What does it look like to be called? And a lot of it has to do with your perspective. You begin to, when you recognize God's call in your life, you begin to regard people from, not from a human perspective, but from a divine perspective, from Christ's perspective. Listen to verse 16. The first sentence in it says, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. You know what that means. It means that since we've come to Christ and since we've found that we desperately needed forgiveness and since we've found that he loves to forgive us and he has poured out his forgiveness upon us, we see other people who might be struggling with some similar issues in their life like we have struggled with and sometimes even still do struggle with. We see them not from a human perspective, but from God's perspective. We don't evaluate them based on the car they drive or the shoes they wear or the job they have or the language they use or the habits, good habits and bad habits they do. We don't evaluate them from that human perspective. We let go of that human viewpoint. 
And it's almost as though Paul is saying how bizarre it is, how absurd it is for us to evaluate them from a human perspective when he finishes up verse 16 by saying, at one time, we thought of Christ from merely a human point of view, how differently we know him now. And so having this commission, hearing this call, responding to this call means that you leave behind the human tendency to think people are valued based on your opinion. He doesn't deserve it. She does. He isn't worth it. She is. You leave all those things behind and you think of them the way God thinks of them, the way the Christ who loves them and gave himself for them think of him. Hmm. That's a radical shift in perspective. But that's what living the call looks like. When you're living the call of your commission, you see that God loves to make changes in the lives of people. And you see the kinds of changes he's made even in you and would make in others. That change happens to anyone who turns to Christ. Verse 17, the very next verse says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And so God has called you to live a new life, to be different than you would be if you didn't know him. He's also called you to share that with others and given you the responsibility and the power to do that. He commissions you to help others do the same thing. Christ changes people's lives through the gospel. You know what the gospel is, right? Gospel simply means good news. Gospel means good news. And the good news is that even though you and I have made mistakes that make us unworthy of God's love, God still loves us. And Jesus still came, so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever trusts in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And when you turn from your selfishness and you place your trust in Jesus and walk after him, you're spared God's wrath and you find eternal life. Uh, Verse 17, I'll put it on the screen. It's just one of a couple verses I'll bother to do that with. It says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new one has begun. Uh, I want you to think of that word, anyone. Anyone can belong to Christ. Anyone can become a new person. Anyone can set their old life aside and live a new life. Anyone can begin this new life. And you and I are not just called to that personally, but we are called, we are commissioned to ensure that others have the same opportunity, the same blessing that we have found. I believe with all my heart, I believe with all my heart, that this is a call for each of us, that he has commissioned all of us. Growing up, I heard missionaries and pastors say things like this. When I was 10 years old, I heard God call me, and I knew I was to go to Japan, and that is where I've been for the past 16 years. A pastor would say, when I was in college, God called me to preach, and I never looked back from that moment. Now, I respect that. I believe in that. 
I have personally experienced that. If I did not have that call, I couldn't have hung around as long as I have. I understand that God gives a specific call to a specific person for a specific ministry. But alongside of that is the kind of call that we're talking about today. It is a call for every believer to help others find Christ. And historically, different churches have tried to emphasize that in creative ways. I was in a church in South Georgia one time, St. Mary's, Georgia, I believe. And I was sitting there back right about where Louie is. And there was a sign on the wall over here that caught my eye. And here's what it said. Every member, a minister. See what they're saying? They're saying all of us are commissioned to minister. And I've heard other things too. I've heard every member, a missionary. They're always using M words, member, ministry, member, missionary, member, moped. I'm just checking to make sure you're still awake. Okay, stay with me. Okay, look, I get that. I understand those signs. And I I, I know for sure that those churches are not trying to diminish the specificness of the call of the guy who went to Japan. They're not trying to diminish the call of people like, you remember that Dave and Crystal were here a few months ago and talked to us about how God has called them to a foreign place. Those churches aren't trying to diminish that. Here's what those churches are trying to do. They're trying to teach each of us that service in the kingdom of God is not just for the professionals. Every member, a minister. Hmm. God has called for you to hear. God has a compassion for you to engage. And God's call, it's a pretty big deal. It's a pretty big deal. Listen to verse 18. Follow along if you'd like to. And all of this is a gift from God who has brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. You see, when we present the gospel, or even when we involve ourselves in a gospel presentation by helping with that, the gospel that Christ died for our sins and, and people, people can be changed uh, eternally, When we present that and people receive it, then God no longer counts their sin against them. They no longer bear the shame for that which they once did. Their head doesn't hang down in shame. They are now free from judgment. They are men and women who no longer carry guilt. They can hold their head high. And they are free from wrath. As a believer, you know how that feels. And as a believer, you want others to feel the same thing. But people who have not found Christ, people who have not heard the message or have not responded to the message, they still own the very things that Christ died to take away from them. Their sins still count against them. They bear their own shame. They are subject to judgment. They live with guilt. They are under wrath. And that makes our call, a call to tell them how to be free from that, that makes our call a pretty big deal. Let me try to illustrate this to you. Let's say someone threw out a question. You're with just a bunch of people hanging out. And somebody says, so whose job is it to defend our nation? Weird question, but just imagine with me. 
Whose job is it? Who has been commissioned to defend our country? You know, you get a variety of different answers. Somebody might say, well, that's the job of the Oval Office. Someone else might say, you know what? That's the job of the Pentagon. You would not believe the, the thing they got going down there. Someone else might say it's a GI. It's the military personnel. It's their job. And someone else might say all of the above. And whatever the response is, since our nation is not at war right now and not under attack, it would, for the most part, be a casual conversation. Nobody's really up in arms about it. Nobody's really speaking loudly about it. How about this, though? How do you think someone from Kherson would answer that question? Who has been commissioned to defend our nation? What about someone in Mariupol? Whose job is it to defend this nation? What about someone in Bakhmut? Whose job is it to defend this country? Are those places familiar to you? They are the cities in the heart of the conflict that we are witnessing between Russia and Ukraine. And you've seen the desolation. It's a pretty short thing (laughs) that the people in those war-torn cities would say, it is the job of every Ukrainian to defend this country. And that leads me to kind of a truism. I've never seen it written down, so I had to create it myself. The seriousness of the situation influences the expectation of participation. Do you hear that? Lost people, that's a pretty serious situation. So our call is a, it's a pretty big deal. And I think indifference to the call is kind of a warning sign to us. You know, I'm up here saying you've been commissioned, that God is calling you to participate in the redemption of humankind. So what if your reaction is, eh, meh, you know? What if your reaction is that? Where does that come from? Well, frankly, it might come from overexposure. I am an alliance pastor. I have been in a Christian and missionary alliance since church. Let me say it again. I have been in a Christian and missionary alliance church since I was four years old. So what is that? 24 years. (laughs) And I can tell you, I've been exposed to this a lot. And you might feel the same, Pastor Steve, I've heard this stuff all my life. If that's my problem, if that's your problem, that warning sign might tell you you need a reboot. And when I say reboot, I'm not talking about control, alternate, delete. I am talking about maybe kick yourself with your boot right in your tail and think for a minute. Lost people matter to God. He wants them found. Maybe it's not a matter of overexposure. Maybe it's just a matter of not thinking. I never really thought about this before. Maybe you haven't been paying attention. Pastor Steve, I never even thought of this before. I really need to evaluate my commitment to the call. Yeah, maybe. Good. Ask God what he has for you to do. Let me warn you. That takes a certain element of maturity that is undergirded by humility. Because over and over again, people say, yeah, I want to know what I'm supposed to do. What do you have for me to do? And God says, I want you to clean up after the wild game dinner. And you're saying, I was thinking Japan. What do you think about Japan? (laughs) It takes a little bit of maturity that is underlain by humility. I guarantee you, 
If you say, God, what do you have in mind for me to do? He will not say, if you don't know, I'm not going to tell you. He'll tell you. Just listen. Maybe it's a matter of distraction. (laughs) Distraction, where like the guy says, I don't want to work. I just want to be like Mason Young all day. Mason, good job on the drums today. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Distraction. I want to tell you, (laughs) that's nothing more than viewing life from a human perspective rather than Christ's perspective. And it's probably way way more common than we'd like to admit. Ask God. Give me your perspective, God. Give me your perspective. This chapter winds up by saying that God actually gives us strong and healthy motivations in this commission. Let me ask you something. Do you have a life verse? Do you know what I mean by that? Do you have a life verse? Often when you ask that question, someone says Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths, the King James said. Great life verse, great life verse. My life verse actually comes from this passage. It's verse 20 in this passage. I'm putting it on the screen from the NIV because that's where I memorized it from. This is my life verse. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making... I love this verse. It is a fabric that God cut me from. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. That's a commission. That's a call. And when we respond to that call, God brings meaning to our life that we never, ever imagined. This call addresses the deep longing that you might have first seen in yourself, the deep longing for meaning that you had and for understanding that you had and for purpose that you had when you stuck your little redhead, I was a redhead back in the day, between your dad and his work. This call, this this response is what that was pointing you to. And when you answer this call, you make an eternal impact. The very next verse. Verse 21, for God made Christ, who never sinned, to be an offering for sin, so we might be made right with God through Christ. When we participate in that, in any way contributing to the sharing of the gospel, an eternal difference is made. The census data for heaven is changed. The role that's called up yonder grows longer. Extra names. People's lives are changed for all eternity. And I can't think of anything more important than that. And when we heed that call, it's not just an eternal impact, although that is that is it. But you even get to see, you even get to see a personal impact in the here and now. It is no exaggeration when I say this to you. I have spent, because I did the math, I have spent thousands of hours in groups, small and large, leading them in a Bible study or teaching them somehow. Thousands of hours. Because I do a group now, you're a group. I did a group earlier this morning. I'm going to do a group tonight. I'm going to do a group on, on Thursday night. I'm going to do a group on Saturday morning. I'd like to get another group going here. Thousands of hours I've spent doing that. 
And one of the big challenges in a group like that is you're sitting there with all the guys or men and women, whatever they are, in a circle, you know, and, and they're talking because they've just arrived and they've been eating pizza or whatever they're doing and they're gabbing and, and you need to get their attention, you know, <laughs> and it can be a challenge. Hey guys, quit talking. You can't do that because that, that, that doesn't fly, right? And so you're, you're looking for a way to do it. Sometimes I delay that though. Sometimes I'll be sitting there with a group around a fire or in a garage or in a sanctuary and I'll just sit there quietly and I'll watch them interacting with one another. I'll see them talking about what's going on in their lives and what's going on in their day. And I, and I ask myself a couple questions. I ask this question. I say, what would these lives look like without God? What would your life look like without God? What would my life look like without God? And then I ask, you know, where would these people be in their lives without the discipleship that's happening in this group this morning, this evening? And and I've recently said this because I believe it's true. It sounds like overstatement, but I honestly believe through the years, some of the people that have been in those groups would be in jail if it wasn't for what God was doing in in that setting. And I get to participate. In fact, there's 20 of them get to participate while they're eating pizza in that. And sometimes I ask the question, so how will what God is doing right now in this gathering affect those people so when they go to other places, who will be affected then? How will God use people from this group to change the hearts of others? What's the outcome of what we're doing right now? 25 years from right now. 2,500 years from right now. Contemplating the eternal and personal impact of what you do in the kingdom is amazingly rewarding. Amazingly rewarding. And as you respond to the call, as you take up the commission, you, you give yourself to something, to someone that is greater than yourself. If I give myself, if you give yourself, if we give ourselves to the trivial desires of our heart, how will our lives stand out? How will that hunger be filled? How will we find significance or even meaning? But when we give ourselves to the call of God, his commission gives our life great meaning. I want to pray that we would be able to do that today in the weeks that are ahead, that God would show us how to do that. If you're comfortable doing so, let's stand together and we'll pray together. Let's bow our hearts. Father, you are a good, good father. The love that you have shown us is amazing to us. We do not understand how you would pour out such grace and such compassion on us, but we'll take it. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us enough to go to the cross and pay for our sins. And thank you, Jesus, for inviting us to participate in the redemption of humankind.
Thank you for saving us when we turned our heart to you and trusted you. Thank you for giving us this call. I thank you that serving in a kingdom isn't just for the professionals. I thank you for the, the eternal reward that comes with doing so. For the personal satisfaction that comes with having purpose and meaning in life. For the glimpses of eternity you give us when we see individuals' lives who are changed and we think, you know, I had a, I had a piece in that. All I really did was served at a funeral dinner, but I had a piece in that. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this commission. I pray that each of us would have hearts that are open to the call you have for us. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen.